0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community with lots of children dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We're very glad you all are here. I extend a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us for the first time. If you have questions about Unitarian Universalism or about this church, please don't hesitate to ask the friendly and knowledgeable people at the visitor table And they will do their best to answer your questions. We come from a heritage that dates back to the 1500s, teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share.
1: Good morning. The, the reading is by Andre J.M. Nowen from Reaching Out. Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side, but to offer freedom, not disturbed by dividing lines.
0: Many people wonder what can hold a group of people
1: together without a
0: creed. We don't have a list of beliefs that we recite together every Sunday, but we do have a mission that we wrote on the wall, and we do say that every Sunday. It guides our steps as we walk into our future. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Will the young and young at heart please come forward? I'm going to tell you a story So, once upon a time, there was a little girl who had curly, 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 curly yellow hair, and she was walking in the woods near her house, but she kind of got lost, and she thought, oh, drat, I'm... I'm lost in the woods. I better go find a grown-up to tell me what to do. And so she saw a house, and she knocked on the door, but nobody answered. It was the house of a bear family, three bears, mama bear, papa bear, and baby bear. They had gone for a walk in the woods, too, only they had gone the other direction. So she, when she knocked on the door and nobody answered, she just went in just went into their house. And she saw the table all set for a meal. There was a great big bowl of porridge at one place. She figured maybe that was Papa Bear. And a medium-sized bowl of porridge at another place. She figured maybe that was Mama Bear. And an insy beansy little bowl in another place. And she thought, who was that? Yes. Thank you. So she tried the big bowl, because she was hungry, she thought, "This looks like just right enough for me, but it was too hot." And then she tried the medium-sized bowl, and it was too hot, too, because, you know, nothing's going to get cold as fast as a little bit of porridge. So she picked the little bowl. Yeah, that's okay. He picked the little bowl. She picked a little bowl, and she started to eat it. She was like, this is just right. Can you say that with me? This is just right. Awesome. That's Goldilocks's line. Then she goes, oh, nice and full now. I think I'm going to sit in a chair. Well, there was a great big chair, and there was a medium-sized chair, and there was a little bitty chair, but she wanted to try them all, so she sat in the great big chair, and she was like, oh, this doesn't fit me at all. She sat in the medium-sized chair, she's like, this fits, but it's kind of hard. I don't like this one. Then she sat in the little chair. Whose chair was that? Thank you. And she was too big for it, and it broke. She was like, that's too bad it broke, because it was just right. She was like, man, all that breaking of furniture makes me sleepy. I think I'm gonna see what's in this next room. So she is exploring their house just as if she lived there, which she didn't. Is that being a good guest? No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that was not being a good guest. You think the bears were on their way home? Mm hmm. <laughs> How close do you wanna to get to a bear? Not even close. Very smart. Far, far away. A teddy bear? Yes. A real bear? No. So she went into the next room and she saw three beds. And one bed was big. And one bed was medium-sized. I don't know why the bears were sleeping in separate beds. <laughs> Apparently there's trouble in bear land. Yeah, but they're all in the same room. Okay, so then she she lies down on the b- great big bed and she's like, "Man, this is too big. I'm going to get lost in here." She lies down on the medium-sized bed and she's like, "This is still not quite right. I think I'm going to try the bed belonging to." Baby Bear. So she lies down in Baby Bear's bed, and what does she say? That's just right. This was just right. And so when you know what happens when you lie down on a just-right bed, you just go to sleep. And lo, she did. She just went to sleep, and she was snoring little tiny child snores. What do those sound like? <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> Whoever told you that was a little tiny snore. <laughs> Loved you very much. <laughs> so she fell asleep in the just right bed and then who came home yes and they came and they saw their dinner and they were like somebody's been eating our porridge and then they looked at their furniture and they said somebody's been sitting in our furniture and look they broke the chair belonging to yes where could this person be is the home invader still in the house papa bear said you all stay right here i'm gonna go clear the house And so Papa Bear goes into one room, clear, and then he goes into another room, clear, and then he goes into the bedroom. She's sleeping right there. So Goldilocks wakes up to see three bears looking down at her disapprovingly. And she goes, ah, and gets up and jumps out the window and runs right home. So she didn't know where home was, she wasn't that lost. And that is the end of that story, and I'm going to preach to the grown-ups all about it. But see you later. Go to your classes. Have a good time.
1: The meditation reading is by Wusbaum Witzak from Jewish Tales of Holy Women." It's called, "Even Her Taking was Giving." Heya Schechter was a pious woman whose home in Tel Aviv was open to all, like the legendary home of Abraham and Sarah. There was never a day when she and her husband did not have guests. Rabbis, rebbe's, and simple people alike all ate at their table, and everyone was treated like a king or a queen. Some guests lived in the house for months at a time. Sometimes there were ten such guests— at times as many as 30, and all of them were made to feel as if they were in their own home. Heya was always ready to give everything she had to another human being. She had reached perfection in kindness, and her giving was done wholeheartedly and joyfully. Another aspect of her perfection in kindness was reported by one of her sons, who said that his mother had once sent him to borrow some money from a neighbor. When he returned with the money in hand, she took the envelope with the money in it from him, placed it somewhere, and never even opened it. Her son asked, "'Mother, why did you borrow the money if you didn't want to use it?' "'I did it,' she explained, "'so that our neighbor won't be ashamed to borrow from us when he's in need.'" Haya Schechter had an open home, an open heart, and an open hand. The Torah says that God is compassionate and gracious. The usual English language of the Hebrew, Hanun, is gracious, but that word is antiquated. A better translation would be that God is giving. Haya Schechter was giving, and added to that was her refined sensitivity to act, so that no one would be ashamed to take, like some other holy people, even her taking was giving. Now is the time in our service
0: when we breathe deeply together, deep down into that place in our heart where the stillness can be found. It is journeying into the still point within that centers us, where we can see ourselves more clearly, where we can grow in compassion for ourselves and others, where we can companion those who are suffering. It is in this stillness that we become more spirited people, more able to give when it's time to give, to draw boundaries when it's time to draw boundaries, to speak when it's time to speak, and to be silent when it's time to be silent. Let us enter into the silence together. I was raised by a father who trusted the government. I was a teenager when uh, Watergate happened. And I remember my dad saying, the president has good reasons for doing what he did. We just can't know what they are. He knows a lot of secret things that we don't know. And I trust that he had his reasons and that they were good. And we may never know what they were. My mother did not trust the government. She had been raised in India. And she told us that you have to leave gifts for the postman, otherwise he will lose your mail. She once called down to the police station for something, probably a speeding ticket, because she had a lead foot. She called down to the police station, and she said, I have to come pay my ticket. How late are you open? And they were like, lady, this is the police. We're always open. She was very surprised because in her town in India, the police station was open quite irregularly and you had to also pay the police. She loved the American Revolution, though. She was a revolutionary (laughs) to her soul. I had a British teacher for American history in ninth grade at the school where I went. (laughs) and she asserted that the boston massacre was a group of scared 17-year-old british boys who were alone in a strange country and the colonials had wrapped rocks in snow and had been throwing the great big rocks at these scared boys' heads so of course they had to open a fire <laughs> my mother was so mad when I told her that story, that she called the school even though she herself was a teacher and didn't really approve of parents calling the school to complain about teachers. My father's three other siblings were politically more radical. My Aunt Ruth, uh, for example, used to grow pot under her piano with grow lights. I think I've told you that before. (laughs) Um, She had seven children, so God bless her, she needed it, whatever. She would not put her social security number down on anything, not in a doctor's office, not on a forum, nowhere she would put her social security number because she just didn't want the government knowing what all her business was. And everybody thought it was ridiculous until recent revelations. <laughs> um, their other sister, Dorothy... Um, moved to Nicaragua to be a translator for the Sandinista government, government from Spanish to German and back to Spanish again. So my dad um, felt that both his sisters had been duped by the communists. I had college professors who were duped by the communists too. They taught us about how the U.S. government had supported certain corporations playing Goldilocks in South and Central America They said we had not been good guests in many countries into which we had moved. Once they started lining it out for us, it was hard not to see corruption everywhere. We were taught about the origin of the term banana republic, which is a contemptuous term for a country where the government is a puppet dictatorship set up to serve the dictator and the companies for whom he works. The United Fruit Company was frequently mentioned in these classes. They were accused of bribing government officials from the beginning of the 20th century in Central and South America in exchange for their support for giant, bless you, giant banana plantations. They were accused of exploiting their workers, paying negligible taxes to the government of those countries, and working ruthlessly to suppress land rights for people who farmed the land of those countries. Latin American journalists referred to the company as El Pulpo, the octopus, and its exploitation of workers was used by communist activists to illustrate the concept of capitalist imperialism. Once you start to see the connections, it's hard to unsee them. Senator then-Secretary of State John Foster Dulles in the Eisenhower administration was sternly anti-communist. The more you learn, though, the more his motives seem... I couldn't decide on the word here. His motives seem complex, corrupt. His law firm... Sullivan and Cromwell, negotiated the land giveaways to the United Fruit Company in Guatemala and Honduras. His brother, Alan Dulles, did legal work for the United Fruit Company and sat on its board of directors. Alan Dulles was named the head of the CIA under the Eisenhower administration. Both Dulles brothers were on the United Fruit payroll for 38 years while they were in government service. Conflict of interest? Henry Cabot Lodge, who was U.S. ambassador to the U.N., owned a big chunk of United Fruit stock. Ed Whitman, the United Fruit public relations man, was married to Ann Whitman, Eisenhower's personal secretary. Are you starting to see the lines here? Most of these are from a book called The Fish That Ate the Whale by Rich Cohen. The company claimed they needed a bunch of extra tracts of land because hurricanes and blight. So they held a lot of undeveloped land and worked tirelessly uh, on the government to restrict land rights for farmers who wanted a share of the banana business. The United Fruit Company also dominated regional transportation networks through its international railways of Central America. They branched out in 1913 and created the Tropical Radio and Telegraph Company. They did improve a lot of ports. They did build schools for the people who worked for them. They did pour millions into the economies, although they were in enclaves. They poured millions into the areas where their people lived, and the schools were funded, who taught in ways that were approved by the company. In 1954, the democratically elected Guatemalan government was toppled by U.S.-backed forces. The United Fruit Company was the only corporation at that time that had a CIA codename, United Fruit was the largest Guatemalan landowner and employer. And that government they overthrew was about to um, implement some land reform and expropriate 40% of the United Fruit land. This is just one tiny little example of how the United States has destabilized other countries around the world, not just South and Central America, for the betterment of stockholders of certain corporations. Here's what I'm not saying. Corporations are evil. Not saying that. I'm saying certain corporations spent lots of money on governments who probably were corrupt already, but, not, uh, but encouraging the corruption and using that money in order to um, advance their own business interests at a terrible cost to the people who already lived in the country. I think we've done that recently. I don't want to go into that, though. That's over in the Middle East, and we don't have time to go into it. U.S. has been Goldilocks in many different countries. And again, this is just my opinion. These are facts that I have picked up. These are from my... uh, college professors, and you do not have to believe what I'm saying at all. But I feel like the U.S. has been a bad guest. Um, I think it's as if the U.S. was Goldilocks, only if Goldilocks had come into the bear's house and taken what she wanted. Um, Cherry picked the best of everything, broke some things, And instead of running away, when the bears got home, she bribed the bear government to make it legal for her to go into whatever bear house she wanted to go into and take whatever she wanted. And when the bears tried to protest, the government put them in jail. Here's the story I would like to pair with the story of Goldilocks. The title of this sermon is Goldilocks and Elijah. Elijah does have some bears in his story. Um, Elijah is a good example here because Elijah is not a a sweet person. He was an Old Testament prophet, meaning that he was very irritating to everyone and (laughs) telling them what they were doing wrong and having visions and being suppressed by both the government and the religious um, people. But... uh, Okay, so one story is that there were these boys who were following Elijah, and they were calling him a bald old man. They were taunting him. Um, I'm glad kids don't do that anymore. But um, they were taunting him and yelling at him, and he got irritated and called three bears to eat them up, and they did. That's in the Bible. And the lesson is, don't taunt bald old men (laughs) with a special relationship with bears. But in this Elijah story, he was the angel that was entertained unaware. Okay, so there is this couple who's very poor, and at 10 o'clock one night, the woman gives birth to their first child. They have, the husband says, honey, I'm, I'm so worried that this child is going to be too cold because all we have is a little bit of straw for him to lie down on. Uh, We don't have any wool to wrap him in. We don't have any food to feed him. I worry that he's going to die. And his wife um, is worried as well. A knock comes on the door. A threadbare guy comes to the door and says, Please, do you have a little straw? I could borrow my wife's just had a baby and we don't have any straw for the baby to lie down on. And so they say, of course, take some of this straw. They give him some straw. He wraps it in his prayer shawl and he goes out the door. Then he throws the straw down on the ground right outside the door. But they don't see him do that. In the morning, they go outside the door and they see there's this pile of gold and silver coins outside their door and they they gather it up and they say that that guy he he was elijah he wasn't he wasn't a poor neighbor he he was elijah, and he's given us all of this gold let 's go buy house um so they go to a nearby city where housing values are good, and they buy a house they take their child and they move into the house, and they find. In the house, there's a little bulge in one of the walls, and the wife touches the bulge, and the wall opens, and there's a huge bunch of gold and silver in there. And they say to the guy who sold them the house, you sold us this house, but it has all this gold and silver in there. Uh, Surely you need it. And he says, no, I'm the same guy you gave the straw to. The money outside your door was your son's luck. The house was your luck, he says to the guy. And the gold and silver in the wall, that's your wife's luck. Because I'm Elijah, and you were kind to me. And then he ascends into heaven, like Elijah does. We have been asked to provide sanctuary for a guest. There's nothing like a genuine call to ministry to snap things into focus. By now, you may have heard that we have been offered the opportunity to take a Guatemalan LGBT activist in and provide her with sanctuary until her deportation order is lifted. She is eligible for a visa called a U visa since she has been helpful to police here in prosecuting a crime. Her lawyer missed a paperwork deadline, so she spent seven months in detention before her partner, who is also undocumented and a trans person, could raise the money for the required $15,000 bail bond. She must appear for deportation on June 11th. The police are documenting her help in prosecuting these bad guys but they will not be finished with their documentation until uh, 90 days have passed. I'm giving you my best interpretation of the story as I understand it. The request for sanctuary was brought to us on Tuesday. The board meeting was that night, and I want to tell you about the board meeting. Your board of trustees preached to me And I'm going to try to tell you this without weeping. I came to the board meeting and I sat down and I said, I have to talk to you about something really important. Here's what we've been asked to do. I am uncomfortable. I feel rushed. I feel pushed. I'm not sure we should do it. I would like to get everything in order. I, you know, I was a Presbyterian for many years. (laughs) And Presbyterians do things decently and in order. I feel like we need to get everything in order. I feel like we need to build our new building, maybe put a room in there, a shower in there. We need to put this off. I don't know. And um, some board members were nodding. Yeah, I think you're right. I feel pushed to. I don't know. Then one person said, I think we should do it. And there were nods. And there was a whole conversation, a rich soul-searching conversation. And then one of your board members said, this fits exactly with our mission. If we don't do this, then what do we do? <laughs> um, so we said yes. I would like to start a conversation with you all uh, about whether we would like to just do this one time or whether we would like to become a sanctuary church since it seems that the sanctuary movement of the 80s is being reborn. I talked twice on Saturday with my Presbyterian colleague, Jim Rigby. He said, What are you guys gonna do? And I said, We're saying yes. And he said, oh. My session, which is equivalent to the Board of Trustees, They said they wanted to prepare more. They said they wanted to think about it. They wanted to get ready for it. They wanted to do it. I said, decently and in order? And he said, yeah. (laughs) He said, Meg, I'm going to tell them on Sunday that the prophetic moment came and the Unitarians said yes and then figured out how to do it and that we missed it because we wanted to figure out how to do it before we said yes. Much more will be communicated with you all, and conversation will begin with us about the whole sanctuary movement. This is an ancient tradition of being a sanctuary. There is no law on the books about this, but there is a custom that governments do not come into churches since ancient times to take someone out. This, and I would like to introduce her to you. Sulma, will you come up? Hi, everybody. My name is Sulma. As the Reverend um, said, I, I am from Guatemala. Thank you so much for receiving me. I'm grateful to receive your support, and um, I, I'm, I'm ready to be here with you all. Please research online the sanctuary movement if you'd like to know more about the history uh, of it, We are looking very much forward to Sulma being part of our community. She wants not to be that woman we are helping, but she wants to be much a part of the community. She's, um, she's got a degree in psychology. She's uh, ran groups for LGBTQ folks in Guatemala, which is why she had to flee. And she would like to run LGBTQ groups uh, here as well for immigrants. And um, that fits... Exactly within our mission, as well. So, um, Chris Jimerson is going to be in the coffee hour. Chris used to run a nonprofit, an immigration nonprofit, and he'll be happy to answer questions. And I will also be there, and I'll be happy to answer questions. We um, we cannot pretend that we all agree about immigration laws. We are not unanimous as a congregation. We have many different opinions, and yet we uh, have this opportunity to step up and help our new friend, which we are going to do, Um, either just this once or on an ongoing basis according to you all and your uh, vote about it. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu dot o-r-g